Crisis, crisis, crisis. You know our world's in crisis. You know this week, I don't know if you heard the news, that Barcelona, Barcelona, have, uh, that's the Spanish football club, have had to let their iconic Lionel Messi go. Right? All those years he's played for, he's, he has missed the Barcelona. They had to let him go because they're in such a financial crisis. Listen to this. They're in such a financial crisis that they agreed just before his contract come to an end that he would take a pay cut of 50%. You think 50%? That still would allow him to earn 100 million. 50%. You know what? If, if the guy said to me, you can, I'll pay you 100 million, you can have it with a 50%, I'd say, where do I sign? <laughs> so what they said was that if we kept him on salary, we would create a crisis that would last for the next 50 years. Now, all of the Spanish football industry is in a financial crisis. And, but that's not the only crisis that we see in the world. Lionel Messi leaving is not a crisis for me. It's not even a crisis for him. He's still going to get paid that, probably even more. Right? It's not a crisis for Lionel. It might be a crisis for the next club that picks him and pays his wages. But crisis is everywhere. Whether it's a financial crisis, whether it's a marital crisis, whether it's a relational crisis, it's a career crisis. We are surrounded by crisis, a crisis everywhere we look. And you know, can you imagine doing something that would create crisis for the next 50 years? And some people, when they get married to the wrong partner or they choose the wrong career, can create crisis for the next 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Some crisis you live with. And you learn to tolerate and you learn to adapt. And other crises you move through and get to the other side. And crisis is, is something that our Bible talks to us a lot about. You know, if, you, if we change the word crisis for trouble, hardships, persecution, they come to us as a form of crisis. Philippians chapter 1 says this, verse 29. It has been granted to you, so... Look at yourself and say, it's been granted to me on behalf of Jesus Christ to not only believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Now, that's the small print I've just made large. That's what your Bible says. It has been appointed for Paul Duffield through Jesus Christ, through Alvin Taylor, to not only believe on him, but to suffer for him. That tells me crisis will come. Can you imagine that, John? Believing on him is not good enough. But it's been appointed. You've been called to trouble. It's true. You've been appointed to trouble. Now, they don't, the preacher didn't tell you that when you gave your life to Jesus. He just says, come to Jesus and everything will be okay. He's a liar. That's not true. Come to Jesus is the truth. But to say you, your life will be okay is not the whole truth. There's going to be trouble ahead. There's going to be crisis and we're going to have to learn to how to handle crisis irrespective of what age you are. 
because it's coming. So it's, you've been appointed not just to believe on him, but to suffer for him. Wow. Now, how we suffer for him is another matter. Some of the sufferings that we go through, we create ourselves. Other sufferings we go through is because of who we are and who he is in us. Does that make sense? So, we understand it says, since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear what I still have. So what he's saying is, Paul's talking to a bunch of people who have had similar experience. Now, I as a pastor should be able to speak to a group of people this morning who's had a similar experience. Because if you've never suffered or never had a crisis, then we have nothing in common. If we're believers, we must be able to share our sufferings. Now, don't, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying you come in with a cross on your back and you've been flogged in the street. That's not the kind of sufferings I've had. But you've gone through. Some of you have gone through cancer. Some of you have gone through sickness. Some of you have gone through hardship, marital issues. Some of you have gone through financial. And when you find people of similar kind of scars on there, you have something in common with those people and you understand that, had it not been for God, you would not be here today. Had it not been for Jesus Christ, and that gives you then a common bond with people. And that becomes the fruit of our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's difficult talking to people who haven't got a clue what you're on about. True? So here's Paul saying, look, it's been appointed for you to suffer. Not just to believe on him, but to suffer for him. But then there's this group of people, Paul says, yeah, I know you can identify with me and I can identify with you. We now have something in common. It's called trouble. It's called crisis. It's called hardships. It's called difficulties. We now have a common interest on that, on that level. That's why we walk together. And we realize that we're better with one another. True? And Paul's saying, I could have had my troubles and kept it quiet, but I want to tell you about my troubles so you can have some understanding of the price that's being paid. And I also can hear your troubles and I can understand the price you're paying. You see, Christianity is free to receive, but it costs you everything to keep it going. It's not an annual subscription, it's a daily subscription. True? So what makes our faith meaningful and valuable and identical is when you have to fight to where you've got today. I don't know about you, but I've had to fight to be here today. Not this literally this morning. I had to fight to get out of bed. I had to fight the rain. But the point is, that's not a fight. That's just life. But we've all had to suffer to be here. We're not... We're not proud of suffering, but there is something inside us that makes us stand upright and say, do you know what? I'm not here because someone gave me this place in life. I'm here because I have suffered and I have proved my faithfulness to my God. It, it cost me to stand here and to say some of the things I say to you. Because you don't want an empty, hollow pastor who's got no experience but tells you like he's got all this experience. And I can only tell you some things out of my experience. I can't only preach to you from my experience because my experiences are limited. Painful, meaningful, but limited somewhat. But I have to speak to you from revelation. I speak to you from experiences. I speak to you by making analogies. But there's more than that. I'm not a comic. I'm not a singer. I'm not a performer. 
I'm a preacher. I'm a pastor. I'm a human being who suffers, bleeds, hurts, just like you. Yeah? We've all had to go through something. When you see others who have encountered the same struggles and seen them trying to stay upright, you think, that's my brother. That's my sister out there. I want to pray for them. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to make them strong. Why? Because I can see they're trying to hold their head up above water. And it makes our fellowship sweet. And then 2 Timothy 3.12 says this. 2 Timothy 3.12. And here's, here's, you're going to like this verse. You're going to put this on your, on your fridge magnet. Just like Philippians 1.29. Shove this one on your fridge magnet as well. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Put that on your fridge magnet because one day it's going to encourage you. When you're asking yourself, why me, Lord? There's the answer. Why not? Exactly. Why not you? Paul said, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that you considered me worthy to suffer the pain. See, chosen, you've been chosen to suffer pain, but to not suffer, but to be the example of how to go through it. That's the issue. So if I go through troubles and I come through on the other side, I'm now the example of how you can come through it and how it can be overcome. And that gives me great hope. That gives me a platform to speak to somebody else and put strength. Because now I've seen how you've handled your troubles and I've seen how you've kept a good spirit. You're not bitter and twisted. And I think I need to talk to that person because they've got wisdom and they've got experience in that area and I can find great strength. I need brothers and sisters around me who have suffered. I don't want brothers and sisters to suffer around me because of me, but I want to have, be surrounded by brothers and sisters who have suffered and who have become a strength through their sufferings. I don't choose the suffering. You know, when people, good people die around me, you know, I don't like that. When good people around me suffer, I don't like that. But it's part of life. I have to embrace it. And I have to learn to fight for them. Because if I let good people around me die and not having stood there in the battle and fight for them, then what kind of leader am I? What kind of believer am I? And we have to fight for those who go through trouble. Because we've just been told twice, and I could read you a dozen verses, by the way, and you could, I could fill your fridge with encouraging scriptures like suffering and pain and troubles and trials, tears and snot and all that stuff. It's all coming. You know that. It's already been here. So a crisis, according to the dictionary, is explained in the following way. A crisis is a situation in which something or someone becomes affected by. Well, I qualify straight away. Secondly, it's a time of intense difficulty or danger. I qualify. I'm doing well so far. I qualify for two out of two. Number three, a time when a, when a, sorry, a time when a difficult or important decision has to be made. Qualify number three. I'm all in here so far. It's a turning point. Now I haven't had this point. I haven't had this, but some of you may have. It's a turning point at the point of a disease when an important change takes place. Indicating recovery or death. Now, I haven't died of a disease, as you can tell, I'm still here. So I don't qualify for number four, but I qualify, and I'm sure you do, 
for one, two, and three. So therefore, that's why you've been chosen. And the fact that you've been chosen, you've now got the experience. Does that make sense? You've all witnessed those things. And you're going to witness them at different times in your life. So it shouldn't be strange. It's not pleasurable. It's not nice. It's awful. Nobody wants it. But it's coming. But the worst crisis you can ever have is the one you make. The one you make. Because that's made out of your own doing. But the ones that come around you. So there is a crisis. It's called a development crisis. And God's into big development crisis. In fact, I think God owns a company. When it comes to development crisis, this is a part of the process of you growing and developing through various periods of your life. God owns the copyright on development crisis. Anybody qualify for development crisis? In fact, if you, jo- if you come to ADT, you will have development crisis. Because you need to be stretched. You need to be exposed. Not to be shamed. No, 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 no. That's not what we do. But you will be, if you want to be developed as a Christian, you know, you'll go to a company, you'll go to university, you'll go for training, and then you'll go to a company and you expect them to train you to develop you. That's to do a job, to do a skill. But when it comes to life skills, internal work that God's got to do, we also need to be developed. And God says, I'm really big into developing. In fact, I'm the world's biggest developer. I'm building living stones. I'm not building projects. God's not into a project. God's into purpose. He's into plans and purpose. So he says, right, I know what Paul Duffield needs. He needs a little bit of, he needs a a slap and a tickle every now and then. He needs a twist and a turn every now and then. He needs a few holes he falls in. And I've got the people who will do it. I've got the environment set. I know exactly what you need to develop what, he need, what God needs to draw out of him. And for every one of us in this room, God's got the development plan. But very often, we want to pull out of God's development plan. But God is committed to the development because the work that he started in Chris, he is obligated to finish. So God has got to create a development plan for this lad. And he's got to find out this development plan and then partner with it. Because the moment he's wrestling with it, going to be problems. So you better embrace quickly, if you're going to suffer and qualify for crisis, you better buy into God's development plan. So what does that mean? Stop and think about what's going on and say, Lord, is this your development plan for my life? And if so, Lord, what are you teaching me? Because I don't like it. Can you get it done quick? Because <laughs> I don't like it. Yeah. Do you, know what, do you know what brings crisis to many Christians? Silence. God, I can't hear you. Why aren't you speaking to me? Oh, he is speaking. In fact, the, deaf, the silence is a voice. Why isn't he speaking? It's a different question. So, we see development. Then we have an existential crisis. This is inner conflicts are related to things such as life's purpose, direction, and spirituality. People, Christians suffer existential crisis. I want to know my purpose. 
How do I find my purpose for my life? How do I find God's purpose for my life? So they run here, they touch this, they do that, and they're like everywhere, trying to find God's will, rather than just being still and being patient and letting God lead us. And when you're young, you want to try a lot of things. That's part of being young. So that's part of God's development plan has got to have an existential crisis plan built into it. God's okay with Tom running all over the place. God's okay with Peter running all over the place because God's voice can lead him. But that's part of the plan. So when Peter's thinking, what is your purpose for my life? The father says to the Holy Ghost and the, and the son, they say, we've been waiting for him to ask that question, haven't we? And now he starts asking a different question, which now draws God to give him a different answer. Existential crisis. I've gone through crisis like that. Lord, I need to know my purpose. It's not enough for me to get out of bed in the morning. Which direction do I plant my feet? Well, go downstairs first. That's a good place. Go to the toilet. That's the next. But I need to, once I'm dressed and I'm ready, I need to know which direction my feet are going. He says, well, I'll tell you what. Do what you're skilled at doing, and I'll lead you from that point. So you might be on the assembly line one day, and you realize, you know what? I belong here. And this peace comes in. God says, you're exactly where I want you today. So when I was stood on the front of that printing machine, printing HB baked bean labels, sick of them, Coca-Cola labels, I'm thinking, is this it? Is this as good as it gets? And God said, this is where you are for today. And I knew that once that sunk into my heart, I knew I was always leaving. I just didn't know when or how. So now the issue becomes timing. Timing is a big key thing in our life. Young people don't understand timing. They just understand opportunity. And not every opportunity comes at the right time. Some things come too early. Amen? How many people have a midlife crisis? It's internal. Why? Because they still haven't found what they're looking for, as you two sang. They want their life to have direction. They want it to have mean, meaning. They want it to have significance. Then there is situational crisis. Situational crisis. We've all had a situational crisis. Situational crisis. I told you one of a couple of months ago, I woke up one morning and my house was like a waterfall. I had an internal waterfall. I had a burst. A rat had bit through my pipe. Poof. For, for 24 hours, my kitchen was just flooding and flooded and flooding. And everything was floating. That's a crisis. That's a situational. It's Houston. We have a problem. It may not, affect, it may not be caused by you, but now it affects you. When you see your house being flooded, that affects you emotionally. And you think, how can I stop this? What? This is the time to think, I should have bought a canoe. <laughs> and we'll paddle our way out of this problem the optimism the optimism in me or the optimist in me says you know what yeah I know we can replaster that wall that's not a problem I can do this I can do. I'm already in my mind fixing it I'm, Carol's getting caught up with the water I'm saying don't get caught up with the water get the buckets out and I devised this plan how I could get the water running down the wall to flow outside into the yard after seven hours but the point is, to me, and I know he would think the same, it's just a wall. It'll be, we can fix the wall, it's brick. We can replaster the wall. 
I can do that. It's not a problem. It's a pain. I'm already thinking in terms of fixing because it's not going to fix me. Crying, standing there ain't fixing it. So you've got to think into solutions straight away. Situational crisis needs you to get a grip. Because if you don't, it'll enter you and fear will enter in. When I walked into the hospital and my son, my doctor tells me that my son may not make the surgery. That's a crisis. How do I deal with that? Straight away I say, no, he will live. I have to move and be proactive. Now, no, not everybody operates like this. But I'm telling you how I operate in that moment. Sometimes, you know, when you've been told they're going to die. Wow. You can't, you can't, you feel like death is, is irreversible. But you know, every now and then God says, lay hands and cast the devil out. Cast sickness out. Cast death out. Death can be reversed, but not everyone survives. There's a crisis that's coming to our lives. This crisis will come this year if it's not already in you today. And the last one is a spiritual crisis. Spiritual crisis when you lose your faith in God. When you doubt and you lose your trust in people. You lose the heavens appear to be closed. And God isn't speaking anymore. And you think to yourself, was it really meaningful? What did... Is this Christianity, is it even true? I don't know if I believe anymore. And that little devil comes as a little bird, sits on your shoulder and tells you everything you want to hear and feeds you every negativity. And at some point, you've got to recognize who's speaking and flick him off. But you've got to recognize, you've got to come to that point where you realize that, that this is negative, this is not helping me. I'm in a crisis, I need some answers. And the answer isn't to abandon it and to run away from it. The answer is to get somebody to help me. It's a spiritual crisis you go through. And you've qualified for every one of them. So I'm talking to the right crowd this morning. You've all qualified for a crisis. True? You qualified for the first three. Now you've just qualified for these four. At some point. So right now you've got seven out of eight. I think I'm talking and pitching at the right crowd. Can you identify with them? So now let's go back to what we just said. Uh, It has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but to also suffer. So you can see part of that has already kicked in. It's already active. It's already running in the background, whether you choose it or not. It's running. Now, the next verse, what Timothy says, here's a different one because he says, if anyone wants to live a godly life, now that's a different level of life. If you're going to live a godly life, you're going to get trouble in life. But if you want to live a godly life, that's the life you've got to choose. Because there'll be this wrestle inside of you. Which one do I choose? Who do I choose? Why should I choose it? Just let me be me. And there'll be this negotiation taking place within you all the time. So, you know, we learn that a crisis is an event that you and I may not always have control over. I taught you this the other week. A crisis can be an event that you and I may not have control over. And a crisis is temporary. It's not permanent. But how temporary it can be will determine how you respond. It can last a week. It can last months. 
It really is dependent upon how you respond. But it's going to happen. So, do you, want some, do you want another thing to shove on your fridge magnet? This one's encouraging, I promise you. This one is to run right, because you need a trinity, you need three. You've had, two, you've had two bad ones. Now I've got a third one for you that I want you to realize this is the truth also. And this truth is going to set the other two in perspective. And this is from Romans 8.36. It is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Now in all these things we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. Now Paul's saying that verse, watch, you want to read now in all things. But notice what came before it. For your sake we face death all day long. That's a crisis. Can you imagine living a life where you face death all day long? Imagine the emotional stress that would bring upon your life. And yet Paul's learned in the grace of God to carry this threat upon his life. And he says, you know what? It's a threat, but it's not going to take me down. Do you know, they tell, they tell us one in two of us is going to get cancer. But you know what? I'm not living with that threat. Every time I hear that, I say, well, I'm the one who's not getting it. I do. I tell myself that every time I hear that. If those odds are so bad, I don't have to think, well, I'm going to be the one that gets it. Positive says, I'm going to not be the one that gets it. And I'm going to try and live a life that means I don't get it. So I take my responsibility. Now, if it comes upon me, it's not welcome. Love don't live here anymore. The point is, I'll have to learn to fight it like everybody else. But it's not coming on my doorstep. But now in all these things, whatever crisis, whether it's existential, whether it's circumstantial, whether it's spiritual, or whether it's development, in all these things, I can be a conqueror. I am more than a conqueror, which is an attitude. It's a truth, but it's my attitude now that I need to take into the crisis. I'm going to rise above the crisis because I'm going to become the conqueror of it. I'm not going to become conquered or defeated by it. I'm going to conquer I was having a conversation this week and I was saying, you know, when people pray and believe in faith and yet they still die. What a dilemma that can create for people around. I said, but, you know, if you read in your Bible and it talks about in the book of Hebrews, all those who believed in faith, but yet they still died. Now, here's the question and the challenge to you. Are you prepared to fight believing and yet still die in faith? That's the bigger issue. Not whether you die, but whether you die in faith. That's a tough one, guys. That's going to sting. That's not easy to swallow. But if I'm going to die, I'm going to die in faith. Because at some point, I've got to go home. Some point, I've got to go home. But the issue is this, is will I stand in faith, believing, having done all, I stood and I believed. And if he says, Tony, this, isn't, this just isn't your round, you're coming home, that's God's. But at least I went, I, at least I entered in faith. That's a tough one, but that's one we've got to come to. That's, it, that's part of the development plan that God's got. But I'm, and you, and us, and we together are more than conquerors. We're not just conquerors, we didn't just get in there, we are more than conquerors. Why? Through him who loved us, through him who has loved us and does love us. So go to Philippians chapter 1. Let me read this to you. 
Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Phil, can you pass me my juice for me, please? Cheers. Philippians chapter 1. Outside of Christ, Paul speaks more about suffering and crisis than anyone else. He says, brothers, I want you to know, brothers, I want you to know, Dream Center, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Listen to the context. And because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy or rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition. Not sincerely supposing that they can stir up, tr- stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, what does it matter? The important thing is, in every way, whether tr- false motives are f- uh, true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. And I'm going to eagerly expect and hope that I will be in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether I live or or by death. So by life or by death, I'll still stand in faith. Yeah. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And if I'm going to go on in the body, then this will remain fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to be part, to depart and be with Christ, which is far better for me, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I'll remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and join the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ will overflow on account of me. That's quite a large section, but I wanted to give you the context of Paul's sufferings. And I wanted to, he says, there's so much gold in there, you've got to go and dig for it. In verse 12, now I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, if you can adopt that mentality right at the beginning of your crisis, there is a spiritual mature man and woman beginning to rise on the inside. It's not what is happening to me, it's what has happened to me is actually productive it's fruitful it's good for me and it's good for you i want you to think of your crisis in terms of it being good for you and good for others oh i know you don't want to swallow that shove that's another one for your fridge magnet i want you to see that a crisis is good for you and it's good for others why because i get to watch and observe how you handle it from a distance. Remember that song? God is watching you. God is watching you. But I'm not walking. I'm not watching from a far distance. I'm watching the distance is up close. It's not that far. So could it be that your trial, I'm asking you a question. That's all you've got to do is listen to it and maybe record it or you can dismiss it. But just dismiss it at your own peril. Could it be that your trial or crisis is continuing in order to benefit somebody else other than you? Could it be that your crisis is continuing not to benefit you, but to benefit someone else? Could it be? Oh, 
Lordy, 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 what am I supposed to do? Could it be that your crisis is actually continuing, not for your benefit, but for somebody else's? Have you ever thought of that? Have you ever considered that? No, I haven't. Lord, just take it away from me. No, it's actually good for Delma to watch me suffer. I didn't say she smiles. And she's saying, <laughs> thank God it's pastor, not me. But from it, she gleans something and asked a different question about her own life. When I look at Jesus suffering, he did it for us. So don't believe that you can't suffer for the benefit of others. Mm. Could it be that your present suffering is for somebody else, not for you? Wow. Just let that sink in. When you're thinking, Lord, why me? That could be that could be the answer. I don't like that. I don't like that answer. I don't like that alternative. I don't even like Lord that that way of thinking. You twisted, Lord. He said, "No, it's part of the development plan for Delma, and it's part of the development plan for me. So we both benefit from it. Albeit, I don't see the benefit. She sees the benefit of suffering. Yeah, God had to suffer so that you would benefit." Could it be, could it be that your crisis, that your experience is actually serving to advance the gospel beyond you? Could it be that God wants to advance the gospel beyond you? Beyond you. Every time I speak, I have to speak whether I'm sick or not. And who knows who picks up our podcast who knows where our message will go? Who knows which corridors of life it will land in? Who knows where the heavenly birds will come and drop the seed into somebody who's been asking God for an answer? We just never know what God will do with the word that's in our mouths. Amen? Could it be? You've got to ask yourself, next time you're whinging before God, pull out these notes and say, you know what? I better think before I start whinging. Yeah? Could it be that your crisis, I know you don't want to hear this, but it's true. So, go down to verse 13 of that scripture in Philippians. Verse 13. As a result, it's become clear. Oh, sorry, let's go to verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul's saying that what's happening to me is good. Paul's not angry or bitter. Paul's saying, actually, what's happened is good for me because it's going to advance the gospel. So let's go to verse 13. As a result of this, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. So those, here I am in chains, here I am I'm wrestling with my crisis, but actually, there's people out who's taking this word and they're preaching Christ fearlessly and boldly outside of the prison. But if I wouldn't have been in prison, they would never have had the courage to do what they're doing. Wow. I pray that in your suffering, or in my suffering, you will grab hold of the Spirit of God in me and take it and do something with it. See, I look at Papa Jonathan with Parkinson's disease. 
And I see a man standing there at the pulpit, frail, shaking like that. I am obligated to do something with that word that's coming from that man. There he is suffering on the inside with Parkinson's disease, shaking, rattling and rolling. And I have to pick up this word and do something with it so that in my freedom I can do something far more courageous because I look at him. We must learn to learn. We must learn to glean from the sufferings of others. And do something with it. You're obligated to do something with this word. Verse 15, 16 and 17. I'm not going to read them out to you. You can read them for yourself. Some preach the gospel out of envy, jealousy, other motives. All different motives of why people speak and open their mouth. There have always been people who have taken advantage of other people. You must learn to righteously take advantage of the situation. I said righteously. If it can be a step that can be used righteously and positively from the sufferings and calamity, what's going on around you, then you must rise and take it. But if it's about to thrust you and your selfish ambition and you use the misery of other people, that's different. Because there's a boundary you can't go across. And Paul says, you know, they preach it out of jealousy, envy, or some preach out of the right motives. There's all, but it's God will have to judge that. God will judge that. People have always had motives. In fact, you know when there's a financial crash? Do you know who prosper? The men with money. And they'll prey on your misery. And they have no problem taking your house off you and paying bottom dollar for it, not top dollar. And you're struggling and striving. You've lost your job. But not, they've got the cash and they'll buy your house. It's an opportunity for them, but it's misery for you. There's always been people who take advantage of other people. But when you can take advantage to proper, propagate the gospel righteously and honorably... And when you get there, you make sure you turn around and give credit to the people you have used and gleaned from. I was in the Philippines many years ago. And I was so aware that when I went into the Philippines, I was representing Jonathan David. And that honor for him made put a guard over my mouth that I was not here for myself. I was here as a representation of him. I was a son, I am a son of the father who was in me, who's, who's uh, developed my life. But I'm representing you, the people of the Dream Center, and I'm also representing myself. All of us. Now, I had that clear, honorable attitude. And every time I spoke, I said, I honored those people. In my heart, I said, thank you, Lord. I wouldn't be here if it hadn't been for him, him, her, them. My wife. It's important that you show honor and give honor because you'll create a different kind of crisis if you don't learn to walk with honor. Honor is very important. Verse 22. So if I'm going to go on living, so some of you, have you decided, some of, some of you, you, to carry on living? Have you decided that you're going to live with the resurrection life or are you going to live with just the natural life? What life are you going to carry on living? You've got to make a choice today. What life are you going to carry on living? 
Because you'll carry on breathing tomorrow until you stop breathing, but do you want the resurrection life? If you're going to walk with a resurrection life, that's a different kind of choice that you're going to have to make. A resurrection life. Now, Paul says this. And we're going to go on living in the body. This will mean fruitful labor for me. So your crisis is going to have to be fruitful. You're going to have to be fruitful if you're going to carry on living for Christ. But, yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between two. I desire to be depart, to depart with, with, with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. In other words, I'll continue suffering for your sake. So you learn, so you advance, so the gospel advances. When was the last time, outside of your own family, outside of your own family, because it's so easy to turn around and say, well, I do this for my kids, I do that for my dad, I do this for my mum. Outside of your own family, you did something to benefit others. And it hurt you doing it. Come on. You can be any age. You can give your last five pound. Well, that hurt me. That I couldn't get me McDonald's on the way home. Well, that's, that's called basic suffering. Basic suffering. You gave your fiver so somebody else could do something. It, it's a start. You've got to start somewhere. I'm not demeaning you giving you five pound. What I'm saying, or your last pound, or your 20 pence, whatever it is. If it's a kid with, with, a, with a, an arrow bar, I don't know if you know what an arrow bar is. A sweetie. Yeah? If a kid, you, give a kid, you get your, your young kids to start giving 20p, 30p, whatever it is. Well, I'm going to have no sweeties. Yeah, but think of that. We can give it to these people over here. It's small, but it starts somewhere. The process starts. When's the last time you did something for the benefit of others outside of your own family? It's a challenge. Some of you have just gone right through. Woo. Pink cow just gone right across the meadow. So, facing your crisis, and this we're going to come to the finale. You're facing the, you've all qualified for your crisis. It sounds like most of you have gone through it. Some of you may have one today. But I want you to read two scriptures, and you're going home with these two scriptures in your heart. Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is living. It's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to dividing your soul and the spirit, the joints and marrow. So if your, if your joints are aching, speak. If your joints are aching, speak. Heal your wounds by your voice. If you're, this morning we could speak to the, to the uh, immune system, why? We could speak to the bones and the blood, the marrow. We can, joints and marrow, we have the word that will penetrate and go to that part. We can change what's wrong inside of you through that word. Amen. So speaking and praying over your joints is not a problem. Speaking to arrest your own blood disorders, it's not a problem. You have the word that can penetrate that deep. No, I'm going to know, and I don't get all excited because you, you, not all of you know this word. It's not a blanket you throw over. Because I'm going to come, I'm going to caveat it in a minute. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart, your heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him in whom we must give an account. Now, you read that verse, but do you know that verse on its own? Do you realize that verse is in the book of Hebrews? But there's many other chapters before Hebrews. 
And you think, well, why is Hebrews where it is? Why didn't it come before Colossians? Or why didn't it come before Philippians? Or why didn't it come before the Gospels? Why did the Gospel? Because everything has a place and it has a purpose. Because the Gospel's unfolding. And you have to have insight into this revelational knowledge to understand why the books are set in the order they're set. Because there's a message being unveiled and unrevealed to the one who looks for it. So let me show you what comes before it. If you're going to make Hebrews 4 work, you have to lay hold of 1 John. So watch this. Let's go to John chapter 1. Because if you don't have 1 John, John chapter 1, living in your life, Hebrews 4 doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And this is what the Lord began to speak to me about yesterday for you. He said, the quote in Hebrews, he said, but they've not got John. John came first to unveil Christ as a forerunner. Just like the prophet Elijah. And this is what he says. In the beginning was the word. Now he's taking us back to the foundation. He's not telling us to use something. He's telling us the person. Now in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. That's very clear. And then he says he was with God in the beginning. Now we've gone from it's not an it, it's a he. See that? Underline it in your Bible. It's not an it, it's a he. It's a person. He was with God in the beginning. Not it was with God. He, capital H, the man himself, the man Christ Jesus, who became the word for us. Let's read it. He was with God in the beginning. Through him. All things were made without him. Nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. The resurrection life. And that life was the light of men. Now I want you to see very clearly, underline the word life and light. There is no life without continual light. Light is the key to life. The light shone in the darkness, but the darkness did not comprehend it. So there's no life in the darkness. Because there's no light in the darkness until the, the light is shone in the darkness. And let's make it more specific, until light is shone in your darkness. And it says the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. So now we see John in the context. We see God in his context. We see Christ became flesh and dwelt amongst us. We don't see the word of God as being it. We see it as a him. Now let's go back to Hebrews. Now you've got him fixed and the light and the light together. The life and the light should say. Now we read, for the word of God is living. And active. It's only living and active when he is in you and when the light shines in you. Light has to shine into your crisis. It has to keep shining into your darkness because that's where the life comes. If there's no light shone in your crisis, you'll feel like you're dead. You'll feel like you're beaten. And you won't feel more than a conqueror. You'll feel more than a defeated. Can you see this? 
For the word of God is living and active. Now, where's it living and active? We've got to define that. It's got to be living and active in me. So many people don't have light when they read the scriptures. And because they don't have light to shine on the da- into their darkness, life can't come into the area. So when light, what happens? When light shines into the darkness, it quickens my mortal body. When light. So when you're praying, Lord, give me your word. It's light we're after because light will supply the life. These two are inseparable. There's no life without light. And this is what God gave me for you today. Sharper. See, once the light is on, you know, light can penetrate through anything. It's unstoppable. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. This is why you and I need good revelational knowledge with understanding. And watch watch what it does now. It penetrates. Now it goes to work because light is on the inside. So it now penetrates and it now pushes and it exposes and it brings everything into the open. It now divides even to the soul and the spirit. Light does that. And then it goes into my joints and my marrow. It affects my DNA, my bloodstream, everything. And then it judges the thoughts and attitudes of my heart. And nothing in my life or can be hidden in, from God's sight. And everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him who must give an account. So what do we say to this? What do we say to this? Well, Romans 10, 8 says... The word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. So that the word of faith we are proclaiming. That, so he said, the word, uh, Romans 10, 8 says, but what do we say? What does it say, sorry? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. Light has to be proclaimed. And it has to be spoken back into your joints into your crisis that's how it becomes living and active see it might be alive around you but is it active inside of you so when you came to church this morning and you say lord fill my heart fill my heart with what light because light equals life and light and life brings me into understanding So when I'm going to be live and living for Christ, the resurrection life has to come to this level. You can't read Hebrews on its own without partaking of John. John has to be in you. The word that was from the beginning has to be now in you. And you and the word that was from the beginning must be in the Father. And you, the Son, the Holy Ghost, and you together, and we as the church must be in him. And he must be in us. And therefore, the light then, the resurrected power brings life and it brings continual light. And we keep walking forth. Now you are a light unto my path and a lamp unto my feet. There's nowhere I can't go with this resurrection life. So don't just quote Hebrews and throw it on, on, on as a blanket over your troubles. Make sure you're in John. Make sure that the word of God is living and active in me. 
In the beginning was the Word. And I wasn't there at the beginning, but I was in his mind. I was in his thoughts at the beginning. So therefore, in the beginning was the Word. And I was with the Word in the beginning because I was, I was, I was part of his foreknowledge. I was there. Right? And the Word was with God and I was with God. And, the, and we were all together. That's how you've got to read it. We were all there together. Yeah? And, and through him, all things were made. I was one of them. Through him, I was there. I was made. Yeah? And without him, I couldn't have been made. And I've been made. And in him and in me is life. And that life became the light of men. I've received that light. So why do I still walk around in crisis like I'm in dark? Hold your ground with the light you have. Stand to our feet, please. Do you know, as a pastor, I could quote to you John 1, verse 5. Do you know what it is? The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Have I spoken to darkness this morning? But have I spoken to your darkness? Has God spoken to your darkness? That's a different question. If there's darkness in this room, it takes light to expose the darkness. I don't believe there's darkness in this room. You're not a people who are of the darkness, of the dark. But we all have elements of darkness in us. I don't mean evil, I mean lack of understanding, lack of revelation. So you're not, I'm not saying the devil, please don't think that. When I don't understand, that's a dark area. And I need the light to penetrate into the dark area. And we all have those areas where we need fresh revelation and understanding. So I want you to now raise your hands, if you will. Be sincere before the Lord. Some of you have been plagued in your minds for too long. You read the word, but you don't always understand it. And because you don't understand it, you get frustrated and think it's meaningless, it's, it's purposeless, it's powerless. And the Lord says, I want to give you light. Because when the disciples were walking together, they didn't understand what Jesus was saying. And Jesus, watch this, he touched their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. Now, it's up to you. You can keep living and wrestling and, and keep thinking, I don't know, I'm not sure. I really haven't worked it out. That's a state that you become comfortable with because you always use that excuse every time you come to something that challenges you. I don't really know. I just don't understand. I just haven't worked it out. Well, now's the time to work it out. And you start by saying, Lord, I need some light. And I need some understanding. And, I, and if I don't get it, I'm going to stay where I am. And God says, your mind's always going to be plagued because of your lack of light and your lack of understanding. You don't need high intelligence. You need revelation. Revelation to penetrate the barriers. So I'm going to ask you right now, if you want an increase of light, that you will raise your hand and begin to allow the Holy Spirit to penetrate. I'm going to come and pray right across this room. But only if you say, don't put your hands up if, you're not, if you don't want it. That's, that's, that's fruitless. But just put your hand up if you want it. God's going to break through 
and bring a breakthrough into your thinking and new revelations about to break onto you. But you've got to pick your Bible up for goodness sake. You've got to pick the Bible up and don't see the Bible as it. See it as a hymn. And the first thing I always do, my friends, when I read the Bible, I say, Lord... I have no understand. I have limited understanding in my mind. I don't want to read it with my mind. I want the eyes of my spirit to be enlightened. Father, you're the author of this word. I want to meet you. I'm not looking for information. I'm looking to meet the person. If I meet the person, I'll get the understanding that I need. Fish for Christ. Don't look for information. Information will come. Revelation will come. Understanding will come from out of your spirit, not your mind. Does that make sense? Your spirit is what God speaks to. Your mind then is informed what your spirit has captured. And this is why many of you need to come on ADT, because it's what we put right. These are the building blocks. So Father, right now, come on, raise your voices to heaven. Each one has a voice, raise it. It's your prayer. Father, right now, I declare the light of God's word. I declare, Father, that in the beginning, you was the word. And the word was with God and the word is God. And he was with God in the beginning. And through him, all things were made. And without him, nothing was made that has been made. I thank you, O God, that these people stood before me this morning have been made by Christ Jesus himself. Not, these were not born of human decision, but of the will of God. And Father, right now, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Right now, God knows the depths of your heart. So right now, say, Father, you know it all. I'm not going to hide. Expose it, O oh God, before you. I'm safe. Everything's uncovered and everything is laid before the eyes of him who I must give an account. So give an account this morning. Let God know how you feel about what you've just heard. Come on, give him an account and then I'm going to pray something different. <coughs> Let him know what, you know what you feel about what you've just heard. Lord, I want to know you. I want to know you more. Tell him how you feel. <coughs> 